my name is Adam. I'm the teaching pastor here. And a little fun fact about today, last hour I introduced myself as the worship pastor with, I mean, just complete confidence. I walked out here and said, I'm Adam, I'm the worship pastor, and I can't play anything musical. And to hear me sing would be punishment for all of you. So uh, I don't know what happened, but I'm the teaching pastor here. And we're starting a, a series called Play and Purpose, which is why if you're on campus here with us, we had uh, Cotton Candy. Um, on the way in, and we have all the games. How many people took, took a shot with the basketball? How many people, how many people made said shot? See, I think the people that missed the shot just aren't raising their hand to admit that they took a shot. I think that's where we are, because no, apparently nobody's missed in either service. So we, we have a basketball squad here in the making for sure. But the thing that we're talking about today is this, is this idea of play and purpose. Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 4 says this, there's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. There's a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. And what we're talking about over the course of these three weeks is this reality that the human experience is all-encompassing of both these mountaintop highs, these joyful moments of celebration and happiness, and the lows of bad news, of difficulty, of trials, and that the thing that kind of guides us through is this need to find purpose in the ability to play and have fun and laugh and find balance in those things. When I was a kid, I took play very seriously. I am competitive by nature, and so any game that was played, I wanted to win and thought that I was going to win. And if you were on my team, you were an ally against the evils that threatened to thwart our kingdom of competitive greatness. And if you were opposed to me, I wanted to destroy you and everything that you stood for, even if it was Monopoly. And so it didn't matter if we were playing a board game with our family or if I was playing football by myself up and down the hallway of my house growing up, I was going to win. And by the way, I did dominate when I was playing football by myself, if you're wondering. <laughs> and, and out behind my house, there was a basketball court, and I would always, always make the last second shot, or I would be fouled, and that's why I missed, and so I'd get to shoot again. And uh, I see a lot of this happening with, with Cohen, who's now eight. He does the same thing. But there's this, there's, I took play very, very seriously. And I can remember the very first day, and I've told this story before, the very first day that I got um, my glasses, new glasses, I got corrective lenses, and I talked before about how uh, powerful I felt when I could see clearly for the first time because I had glasses. Um, we got what were supposed to be indestructible glasses, which is a little bit of foreshadowing because um, they were supposed to be. But we would play this game where one person would swing on a tree swing and the other people would get on their bikes and they try to time riding their bike back and forth so as not to get hit. And you would win by being the closest to the person on the swing without getting hit. And I was going to dominate at this because I wanted to dominate at everything. I'm very competitive, and this was the game that we were playing, and so I wanted to win this game. And so I, I had figured out, and I'd been sitting while it was my turn, like kind of counting, and I decided that if you waited till the peak of the swing, and if I counted to two and then started because I'm super fast on a bike, that I'd be able to get past. The problem is, or the story that I've told myself for years and years after this incident, was that I was too powerful. And so when I started to pedal, 
my back tire spun out because I had the horsepower of, you know, a Mustang. And I just, like, I spun out, and so I didn't catch immediately. And the timing was perfect in that I got hit so squarely by my sister who was swinging backwards that it launched me off the bike and into the tree. And let me tell you, indestructible was false advertisement for those glasses. But this game that I was playing, I took very, very seriously. But that's not what we're talking about with this thing of play and purpose. We're not talking about playing on purpose. We're trying to find this balance between play and finding times to have fun and relax and rest and laugh and be full of joy and to have purpose in your life, to have meaningful work because we're created for work. Toiling in labor is the curse of the garden. Work is a gift from God. And so we're supposed to have both. And today we're talking about and. We'll talk about purpose next week when uh, Kraft shares about purpose and he talks. we get to honor the graduates next Sunday. And then Mike will come back to get to talk about play, which is perfect for Mike because he's the reason we have cotton candy here today because he has the joy of uh, a million children. You know, he's just like, <laughs> he was so excited about having cotton candy at church and then he wasn't here this week. Um, but he gets to talk about play in a couple weeks. And today... We're talking about that and, and how we have to find this balance because too much play robs play of its meaning and its ability to recharge us. We just don't get to experience the difficulty that makes play meaningful. And too much purpose burns us out and gives us the illusion or the lie that we're in control and we're the ones constructing any good thing that happens to us. When really God is moving us forward and as we live on purpose and with purpose and we work purposefully and we take time to rest and play, we find in that this more complete life that God wants to offer for us. So here's the reality. We're made for purposeful work. Ecclesiastes 3.13 says, God wants all people to eat and drink and be happy in their work, which are gifts from God. And you might be reading that thinking about going to work tomorrow and thinking, I don't know if gift from God is how I would describe my interaction at work and my coworkers, some of them, you know. But it's designed that you're supposed, that it is supposed to be a gift from God, working, providing, contributing. Proverbs 12, 14 says, well done work has its own reward. We're made to strive and work hard at something so that we can see the reward at that. We're, we're made to create, to cultivate, to do those things. Yesterday we had a birthday party for uh, our four-year-old daughter, Emery, uh, and the grass had gotten out of control, and so I'd mowed a couple times, but there were still a ton of grass clippings on the, on the ground, and we had to, we the men of the house, myself and my son Cohen, uh, who I said is eight years old, we had to rake up all the, the grass clippings because it was just, I mean, it was out of control. You know, you had to get that up. Uh, and so Cohen was willing to help with that. Um, but what I told him in the middle of the heat of the day was this is, going, this is going to look good when it's done, but this is hard work. It is not fun to rake up grass clippings. And he's like, okay. And he's holding, holding the rake, you know. And I was like, here's what's going to happen. You're going to start and you're going to get a little burst of energy because you started, and then you're going to get to a point where you want to quit because hard work makes you want to stop. And here's what I want you to do today with this. When you get to a point where you feel like you want to quit, I want you to pull the rake 100 more times. And he said, what? 
I said, listen, it's hot. You're going to want to quit a lot sooner than you actually need to quit. So I'm going to go in. I'm going to get us some water. You do some raking. But when you want to quit, start counting to 100. Pull the rake 100 more times. By the time that I got into the kitchen and looked back out at Cohen, who was raking, he was already counting one, two, I mean, 30 seconds later, which, I mean, I'm inside the air conditioning getting ice water for us, so I understand the instinct. But afterwards, it looked better, and the hard work was worth it, and we had a better time outside because of that hard work, and it was rewarding in that sense. But hard work, if that's all you do, you lose a sense of balance. And like I said, you start to construct around you this belief that my efforts are what's holding my life together. When really our work and our efforts are supposed to be part of our worship. We're supposed to go out and cultivate and create and contribute into the world because we are created in the image of a creative God. And so when we work, And when we contribute and when we create and when we have interactions at work, we're on mission and worshiping there. But that's all we do. We lose sight of that balance. So we're created for purposeful work, but not just for purposeful work. We're also created for God-honoring play, to laugh with people, to have fun, to have joy, to goof off, to play games in the lobby at church, to dunk on somebody at church. It's okay to laugh and have fun. We're created for God-honoring play. 1 Timothy 6.17 says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or put their hope in their wealth. Or don't put your, your hope in what the work that it has given you. Which is so uncertain. But to put their hope in God who richly provides us everything for our enjoyment. Proverbs 17.22 says, A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones to laugh, to have fun, to get to be with people and play and just relax or look at, look at the nature that surrounds you in those moments where you're not pushing, where you're not working, where you're just sitting back and relaxing and looking around at all that surrounds you. It's this reminder that though we're created for work, it doesn't all depend on us. I didn't do anything to make the mountain so grand and the sunset so beautiful. I didn't do anything to make nature scream of the glory of God and give me a sense of awe in how inspiring it is. I didn't do anything for that. But if all we do is work, we get blind to that which surrounds us, which can bubble inside of us joy. And joy that scripture says is like medicine for the stressful world that surrounds us. But we're not just made for that play either. God invites us to live in the and of those things. Of course, we're made to work and contribute. There's something in us that when we do a job well done, we get a sense of joy from that. But there's also something in us that really values getting to sit around maybe a campfire with friends and just tell stories and laugh or play some kind of game around that because that's what I would do. I would for sure make up a game. No matter what scenario we're sitting in for however long, I'm wanting and thinking about what game can I play, so I definitely fall on the play side of the play and purpose thing. But we're supposed to find this balance. John alludes to this in the very first chapter of 
the Gospel of John, which says in John 1.14, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We've seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father full of grace and truth. And what John is alluding to is that Jesus is able to show us how we balance two things that seem to be at odds with each other. Jesus shows us that there's fullness in balancing these things that, that are at a that, that pull at each other. That it's not just grace, it's not just forgiving and, and never thinking about anything that could correct the bad behavior, but it's not just truth where you condemn, it's this balance. Jesus shows us that balance is a beautiful thing and we're made for play and purpose. In Luke 10, there's a famous uh, passage. Luke 10, 25 says, On one occasion, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, What must I do to inherit eternal life? Which is an age-old question. What do I need to do for my life to make it matter into eternity? To make it matter forever? And Jesus goes on to answer in Luke 10, 27, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Give your life to worshiping God and serve and live at peace with those around you. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he added this in Luke 10, 28. Do this and you will live. The corollary assumption there is that there's a way to live life without really being alive. To go through your time on earth just wasting the time that you have. Do this and you will live. Make your life about worshiping God and serving others and let that eternal pull move you forward in everything that you're doing. If you do that, you'll live. Your time here will amount to something. You'll really have color in your life and you'll be able to see clearly what God is doing in the work that he's doing around you. John 10.10 goes on to add to this idea the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. That there's an enemy that wants you to waste your time here on earth. To just spin like a hamster in a wheel. Only to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. Which means, again, that you can have life and you can have a less than version of it. If you live for something outside of what you were created and designed for. And we were created and designed to live creative, contributing, joy-filled lives as kingdom ambassadors for, the Father, for our Father in heaven. We're created for that crystal clear, eternal pull of our Father in heaven to help people understand the life that Jesus has for each of us. And we won't be distracted by anything that pulls us off that mission. But in everything we do, yes, even going to work on Monday, that's going to be in line with that eternal pull. And we're going to have joy that surrounds that. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you may have life and have it to the full. I don't know if you've ever gone from watching a movie on your phone to watching it on a big 4K TV and the difference in what you can see when you're able to do that. I remember when we first got a 4K TV because we got it on sale because it's awesome. Uh, but I wanted to wait to watch something in 4K, in proper 4K, until it was nighttime and I could experience it in its full glory because I wanted to see with the best clarity what the full glory of that picture was going to be. And let me tell you, that Marvel movies on 4K, it is just different. 
you know? And then there's 8K and 16K and 29,000K, which somebody came up to me afterwards and said, Adam, anything past, and I don't remember the number because I think that they missed the point of the message, <laughs> but they said, anything past a certain resolution is imperceptible to the human eye. And I said, I don't care. I won all those Ks, you know? Uh, anyways. Uh, but God offers us life that you see in full clarity. But we could get trapped into living less than if we don't line our lives up with what God has for us. Ecclesiastes 10.15 gives us a warning. And a warning that I fell into uh, during the pandemic. I remember during the stay-at-home orders, um, we were all working from home, and there was one night at around 11.15 that I silently got up from the couch because I remembered that I needed to do something, and I needed to go down, and I needed to change something on the website. I don't know if you know the analytics of exploremcc.org, but there's not a lot of traffic on it at 11.30 at night. But I felt like I should go down, and I should change something because something was not quite right. I don't remember exactly what Clearly, it was super important. But I went downstairs, and I worked for 10 or 15 minutes, and then I came back upstairs, and Emily said to me, are you done working for today now? And I said, yeah, but I wasn't really working right then. I, mean, I just did, went down and did something. I wasn't working. And she said, I've only seen you at mealtimes today. And it was like a punch in the stomach that I wasn't living in that balance, that I'd fallen and tripped into this reality that work became my whole world for a few minutes because I didn't have to drive to it. It was just always there, and I fell into this trap of always doing something. And I don't say that to try to brag about, like, oh, I'm always working. It was stupid. As Ecclesiastes would tell us, it says, only someone too stupid to find his way home would wear himself out with work. And I was too stupid to see that boundaries that I should have put up around my work kept me from seeing the home that I was residing in, meaning my wife and our kids, that healthy boundaries would have given me the ability to not only do better work, but spend more time with the people that I love most in this world. And I was too stupid to find my way home after my work hours. And I missed it. And it took my wife holding a mirror up to me and saying, hey, you haven't talked to us today. Dummy? She didn't say dummy. I added that. We have to be able to construct these healthy boundaries around living a life that balances both these things. Because we're made for purpose, we can fall into only working. And because we're made to experience joy, we can spend our time just playing and wasting time beyond what is just replenishing. So the question becomes, how do you do this? How do you find that right balance? And the answer is part of why we're all here together today. Sabbath is the way to find balance. Intentional rest is the way to find balance. God constructed a rhythm where we work six and we take one off. For sure, one off where you don't do anything. Deuteronomy 5, 12 through 15 says this. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. As the Lord your God has commanded you, six days you shall labor 
and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or your daughter, nor your male or your female servant, nor your ox, nor your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. We Typically, a lot of people make that Sunday, but what it's really saying here is don't go past working six. Take one day off where you rest and unplug and you're not causing yourself to just be exhausted and burn out. Take that time. And it does a couple things. God created us, one with the built-in need to rest and remember. When you unplug for a second, you get to see those unhealthy rhythms in your life, those times where you've gone beyond what is a healthy boundary for your work or what is beyond a healthy rhythm and amount of rest. That, oh, wait, maybe I shouldn't be up until 2 a.m. binge-watching a show just because I like it. That's making me a worse father in the morning because I'm pretty sleepy when my kids wake up at 6.30 or 7, and I'm just grumpy because I was up watching, you know, is it cake or not? What's it called? Anyways. And so that rest helps us recalibrate and get a sense of not only who we are, but whose we are and who is in control. We need to rest and remember that God is the one that will see us through. But then God created us with a built-in need to rely on him. The lie that we love to buy into is that our own working and our own striving and our own construction of a life will provide us the comfort and security that we so desperately want in a chaotic world. That if we just work harder, if we just spend more time you know, getting after it and less time making excuses, that we can build for ourselves a safe haven from everything that would happen to us in this life. And that's not true. Of course we should take care of the things that we're responsible for. Of course we should work hard when it's time to work. But we are not our own source of security or providence. We need to rely on him. God said, you remember when you were slaves in Egypt, I was the one that brought you out. I was the one who split the Red Sea and let you walk through on dry land. And so don't start to think that you need to be working every day in order to have the life that is for you. I designed you. I know how you should live. I'll be the one that will see you through even the most difficult situations. And so what you need to do sometimes is just stop. Because you might be working in the wrong direction. You might be caught up in the momentum of bad decisions. So you need to stop and remember that your Father in heaven wants to talk to you and help you and recalibrate you and move you off in the right direction, which is the mission and purpose and design of your life. But if you're so busy working or wasting your time just playing, you can't hear from your dad, then yeah, you're going to get off course sometimes. We need to rely on him. And so in the next few minutes, we're going to sing a, a song. And it says over and over again, be still. 
And I know that a common misconception when it comes to be still is to literally just be still. That maybe if I'm still enough, the things that are danger around me won't see me and I'll be invisible. Like a kid surprised by something that scares them. They just hide and freeze. But what we're talking about isn't just hiding because the world out in front of you is too scary. It is surrendering the fight because you have the courage and the confidence in knowing that God is the one who will fight for you. With a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, whatever lies in front of you, you're not the one who's primarily responsible to win the battle. So we need to be still and remember that it's not because I'm holding on to weapons that I'm safe. It's because my dad stands behind me and goes before me. It's because my Father in heaven will see me through anything, no matter how difficult the decision, no matter how tragic the the situation, you aren't the one who's primarily responsible for the battle. And so sometimes we just need to lay our weapons down and be still because the Lord will fight for you.